privileged in so many ways. In the spirit of gratitude, let us walk humbly, act justly, love mercy, and show kindness and compassion to all we meet and honor God in all that we do. Good morning. Would you please turn to 120 in your hymnal if you'd like to use a hymnal. If not, the words will be up on the overhead there on the screen. And while you stand and start singing, you know, we wouldn't even notice if you moved to some of these front benches. So just feel free to move up. Okay, Margaret. The first three verses. It's warm and muggy, and it's nice compared to minus 40. So uh, on this Canada Day, you see other signs of change around us. There's construction areas here, and uh, thank you for uh, accommodating and being, being accommodating and, uh, and gracious in the parking changes and all the other changes that are happening around here. Let's look at the life of the congregation a little bit. And uh, if there are people that have announcements to make, you can make your way forward, and I'll give you a chance at some of that. Your bulletins include uh, some information about summer worship. Uh, Mel will be making a little bit more of an announcement about that. Take note of that. Uh, Debbie Giesbrecht and Christina Putz are in Bethesda Regional Health Center, and... Uh, we want to remember them at this time. Um, you'll notice on the back that Camps with Meaning are still looking for volunteers. If you, if you have time this summer and uh, energy to volunteer there, the contact information is uh, shown at that point. Um, Phil and Barb Gunther and family have uh, recently lost Barb's mother, Dorothy Fair, and uh, they have a message of uh, support and thanks, thanks for your uh, prayers uh, in the bulletin. Mel, you wanted to make an announcement here? I'd just like you to note, in regards to next week, there's an announcement in the bulletin that SMC will be uh, joining us for worship. 
And then later in the summer, actually, we are going to be joining them at Steinbach Mennonite Church on Lowen Boulevard. Uh, Sorry, SMC, I should say, Steinbach Mennonite, for those of you who don't know. Steinbach Mennonite is a sister church. That is, we're part of the same uh, Mennonite conference here in Manitoba, Mennonite Church Manitoba. So we and they, uh, two churches here in Steinbach, are connected in an important and good ways. And so uh, during the summer, when both of us have less people in our, in because people are traveling and gone for the summer, we've decided that we would do one service together here and one there. So they are going to be here next Sunday, the 8th of July. So um, we're going to uh, have them among us. And uh, so be free if you meet people here next week who aren't um, from our church normally. Don't invite them to church next Sunday after because we want them to stay where they are. But um, you can actually say welcome here to people who are coming next week as guests. And also, um, it's mentioned in the, in the bulletin that it's going to be finger food. And I think I might have made some sort of mistake there. It won't be finger food this sun- next Sunday. It will be cookies and coffee. So coffee will be served and there will be cookies. So um, one thing I will mention, if you would like to offer donation of cookies, um, Enid and Betty Cooper are going to be doing the coffee. Let them know that you would be glad to bake like 300 cookies or something, so, or maybe less. But anyway, you can talk with Betty or Enid. The other thing I'd like to mention, and I know they're not here this morning, Sheila and Rick Arties. Sheila's mom passed away, I believe it was Friday morning. We got the text, we were gone during the week. So um, uh, they've been traveling back and forth to Winnipeg. They're with family together planning the funeral. So let's pray for Sheila and for Rick as they um, spend this time together as a family. Would you please rise for the call to worship and then remain standing for the congregational songs that follow. From Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Perfect. That was a great segue into our first song here, Come Now is the Time to Worship. And we are truly blessed on this Canada Day to be able to come to a place to worship. So please join us. into the mountain of God, written by our own, I still say our own, Phil Campbell Lance, who of course is now at Bethel Mennonite, but we love his music.
I'd like to invite any children, the children, forward for a children's story. I know you are here today. There's at least seven of you. Not my kids, though. <laughs> They're at the grandparents. Hi, Avery. Hi, Evan. Hi, Kian. Hi, Jude and Pierce. Hi, Eliana. Hi, Jackson and Dylan. Hi, Mabel. Hi, Otto and Naomi. We have one, though. You have one of these Bibles, too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I can't find mine. You can't find I yours. I exactly where yours is. Where? I got to tell I'll tell you when we Sounds like you guys home. have a date after church okay. today. Go find Evan's Bible. Okay. How, how is all of your summers going so far? Good! What are some of the things that you've done that have been lots of fun? Yeah. Swimming? You have a zip line in your backyard? Yeah. Awesome. And we also have a pool. And, and a pool. Trampoline. Oh boy. And a Much better and than winter. And in winter, we will make a skating, skating rink. That's exciting, but we're not going to talk about winter today. And not even. I to not today. Not today. Yes, Eliana, what have you done for summer so far? Swinging. That's also really nice. I went canoeing last weekend, and I caught some catfish. Big, heavy catfish. And then my friend, he didn't want to touch the big, heavy catfish. So I picked up a catfish, my next one I caught, and I threw it at him. We have cat. Why did you throw it out? Well, because he didn't want to touch the fish, so I threw a catfish at him. And I made him touch it. He wasn't too excited about getting hit with a 10-pound catfish. Okay. This is a story that Jesus told. Not a story necessarily. Jesus taught the disciples how to follow God's way. And Jesus' ideas were different from other ways that people had been taught to act. Which one do you think is Jesus in here? I don't know. Well, it's not really clear, is it? Maybe this, this guy here giving a hug to that kid. We can say that's Jesus. How does that sound? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Jesus said, you have heard that if, you've heard it said, if someone does something bad to you, do the same thing back. But I say to you, it is better to love your enemy. If anyone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek toward that person. If someone wants to take your coat, give up your cloak also. And if anyone makes you walk a mile, don't stop there. Walk another mile. Jesus went on. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies as well as your neighbors. Pray for the people who treat you badly. This is how you show that you are children of God. God makes the rain and the sun shine on everything and everyone. It shines on those of us who do good things, and it shines on those of us who do bad things. God wants you to love everyone. If you are only kind to those who are kind to you, what good is that? Anyone can do that. If you talk only to the people in your family, God, if you talk to only people in your family and your community, how are you showing God's love? God wants us to be different. We are God's sons and daughters. Let's live like God's children and love everyone as God loves. So let's say a short prayer and then you can go back to your parents, okay? Dear God, help us to always try to find ways to love everyone, even when it's hard. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, children. We got it. Our scripture this morning is from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21, and it's entitled, God is Love. Usually we think of the love chapter as coming from Corinthians, but uh, take a listen to this one. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, 
Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do justify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that, son, that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. How do you know if someone knows God? If you want to know who's born of God or who knows God, there are a couple of really easy tests. The first test is simple. If you want to find out if someone knows God, ask them which church they go to. And we'll be super inclusive here and say that they can go to, that if they go to church, like any church, they know God. And the more they go to church, the more they probably know God. So one Sunday a month, yeah, okay. They come light a candle on Christmas Eve? Well, but like if they're at church on July long weekend, then they know God. Second test. Ask them if they are a Bible-believing Christian and if they read their Bibles. And you definitely can ask them, how much of their Bibles do they read? Like if they read it every day? definitely know God. If then if they read Genesis, Exodus, even Leviticus, they get bonus points for that terrible book of the Bible. God gave us, oh, sorry, we have a retired Old Testament professor here. I'm sorry for that. That was a joke. We love Leviticus. <laughs> God gave us the Bible so we can know God. And the more one reads their Bible, the more they know God. The third and final test to find out if someone knows God, take a look at the sin in their life. I know it kind of seems harsh, but sin is a big deal. And the less likely it is... Oh, and so the more they sin, the less likely it is that they are to be born of God. Now, which sins should we be looking for? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, for starters, I recommend looking for sins that you don't commit. So, like, if you drive over the speed limit, don't start there. Otherwise, you might be called a hypocrite. But to give you some handles, I'd start with the seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Because none of us commit any of those ever. If anybody commits any of those sins repeatedly, you are right to wonder how much they know God. Isn't this fun? Like monitoring church attendance and Bible reading and sin. These are all very important parts of our faith tradition. Like how else do people know God? Okay, so at this point, you might be thinking, what is going on? <laughs> I'm a bit confused. And if you're a guest here on July Long Weekend, you're just never going to come back. <laughs> but it kind of sounds like something you might hear in church, right? Maybe? I'm being a tad antagonistic, as you hopefully picked up. Because while we might have been told going to church and reading our Bibles and not sinning are how we know God, and I would actually say those are not bad things, that's not what this morning's scripture passage says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Everyone who loves knows God. What about those of us who don't go to church? Everyone who loves knows God. What about those of us who don't read our Bibles too often? Everyone who loves knows God. What about those of us who sin and sin a lot? Everyone who loves knows God. Do we realize what we're reading here? Like, this verse is scandalous. It totally undercuts any notion of superiority or smugness that we might have, that we have a corner on this thing called life and love and faith. It shows that God is bigger than the church, that God is bigger than Christianity. None of us have a corner on God because everyone who loves knows God. It's all about love. In April, I sent out a survey to you, church friends, and to my Facebook friends, and I asked the question, how has your faith made a difference in your life? And a few people wrote back to me, you responded, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you love. Now, that's a belief by itself, but we'll ignore that. Like, you kind of said, love your neighbor as yourself, and who can be against that? That's a good question. A long time ago, when I was a teenager, I remember learning that our New Testaments were not written in English, rather, they were written in Greek, and that, in Greek, and that Greek uses different words for love. And for some of us here, this is old news, like, yes, yes, we've heard this before, Greek loves But for others of us, we might not have, and I did ask some Bible school graduates, and they were a little fuzzy on the details this morning, so it's good I'm saying this. And I also do want to say, if this was like a mind-blowing, life-changing revelation to me years ago, I'm assuming it'll be that for one of you today. So generally speaking, there are a few different words that the Greek language uses to describe love, and there are four big ones. Number one, eros, love. This is the love we have between lovers, romantic love. And it is, yes, it is the root word of the English word erotic. We also have the word philia. This is the love we have. Philia? Philia? Don't know. This is the love we have between friends. This is why the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Although if you're a sports fan, you know that the Philadelphia sports fans are the worst. They boo Santa Claus every year whenever he shows up. Um, Love number three is storge. Storage? I don't know. This love primarily describes the relationships within a family unit, especially that between a parent and a child. And number four is agape. This this is not agape. It's agape. I know that much. This is best described as unconditional, selfless love for everyone. It is universal and transcends all circumstance. C.S. Lewis describes agape love as a selfless love, selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. Loving kindness for all. The agape love is the type of self-sacrificing love God has for humanity. Unconditional love. And in this morning's scripture reading, you heard Jim say the word love an awful lot. And guess which version of love is found in the original Greek? Agape love. Unconditional, selfless love. And here in our scripture, it's the word used to describe not only God's love for us, but how we are to love each other. And how... If we don't have agape love for our brother and sister, we are liars. Harsh, I know. To agape love is to know God. To go back to the survey I sent out and the responses I received that said, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you love your neighbor. I'm going to offer two extreme examples that make me go, really? And the examples are on opposite ends of the spectrum. So if you love one, you'll hate the other. And if you love this one, you'll hate this one. So just be patient. We'll start with a conversation that I had a few years ago with someone who was a bit skeptical about Christianity. He said that life is about love and that we are supposed to love everyone and how we don't really need faith to do that. 
And I said, you know what, you're probably right, actually. You don't need faith to love. And then I asked, should we love ISIS? And he said, no, we should bomb them because they were doing horrible, unjustifiable things in the world. So love everyone, but bomb the bad guys. Maybe we do need God. Maybe we do need God's help. Maybe we do need faith after all. And on the other side, we have Madonna. I didn't know she was still famous, but apparently she is still someone. Like The 80s were like 30 years ago, people. Um, After Donald Trump was inaugurated as president, there was the Women's March, and marches were held all over the USA and Canada. It's considered the largest protest gathering in the history of the world, and a lot of those connections that they made at those marches, they're now channeling them in the States and the world to say, don't separate children from their parents in the USA. That's my sermon in two weeks. But at the main stage in Washington, Washington, D.C., at the Women's March, They had Madonna singing on stage. And then in her frustration, she said, Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I am outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Now, that comment was not received very well, as some considered it a threat of violence. And then the next day, she posted on Instagram, I just really want to start a revolution of love. Love everyone, but blow up the bad guys. Maybe we do need God's help, after all. It's almost as if this command to agape love each other is so impossible that we have no choice but to say, God, help me love. We say, God, I don't know how to love that person right now. Please help. As I was pondering this text, I did wonder who this love commandment was given to. So 1 John was written to a church community or a bunch of little house churches, and the author keeps referring to friends or sisters or brothers. And I was wondering, does this only apply to our relationships with each other here at church? Like, am I supposed to agape love Harv and Barb and Jim, but do I really have to agape love Isis or Madonna? And when I asked this question, I just kept coming back to the young lawyer asking Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And he got told a story about a good Samaritan who was a foreigner at the time. And I get why we ask this question, but I'm really hesitant to try to figure out who I'm supposed to love and who I don't have to love based on technicalities. Right? Because as soon as we are looking for reasons why we shouldn't have to love that person— I think we really are missing the point. Plus, we love because God first loved us, right? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. Perfect love drives out fear. I don't think we acknowledge how much our attitudes and actions are driven by fear. We are deeply afraid of a lot of things. And I think that ad executives know this and exploit this. I think that 24-7 news channels know that we are afraid, especially American news channels. I think creators of social media know that we are afraid. I think politicians definitely know that we are afraid. Every election, everyone says, be more afraid of that candidate, so you you should vote for me. I think church leaders know and exploit this, that we can figure out what y'all afraid of and just push those buttons. We really do live in fear. And these fears can be varied, and they can be very understandable, and they can be real or less real to each of us. So whenever we act out, or whenever we have a strong emotional response to something, or whenever our limbic system kicks in and we have this desire to fight or flight, I am learning to ask the question, what am I afraid of? Or if I'm in a Facebook fight with someone, wonder what that person is afraid of. 
So for me, learning my Enneagram number has been really important to understanding the motivation behind my behavior. And if you missed our sessions in winter, we'll forgive you. Uh, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that explains the motivation behind our behaviors. And we all have like nine categories, and we all fit into nine categories, and each of us has a distinct fear. And often, that fear is lurking just beneath our consciousness. It's driving the bus, and we don't even know it. And for those of us who don't know our Enneagram numbers, or you think the Enneagram is just a bunch of garbage, uh, we can find some other really big, simple examples. A lot of us are afraid for our physical safety. And that affects our decisions to, like, how big of a car should I get? <laughs> to do we let our kids play outside? To how do I feel about the risk of terrorism? Those of us with kids can very easily let fear drive the bus. We ask questions like, are my kids safe? Are they learning at school? Is my kid going to be okay if I don't sign them up for soccer, hockey, swimming, piano, dance, gymnastics, and basket weaving? And then when our kids get older, those fears can get a little bit bigger, can't they? Will my kid do drugs? Will they graduate? Will they get a job? Will they get married? Will they marry well? What if that marriage doesn't work out well? Will I be a grandparent? Will my kids visit me when I'm older? My uh, de facto reassurance to my parents these days is, don't worry, I'll visit you, I'll visit you when you're older. They don't appreciate that quite yet. <laughs> One day uh, here at church, it was before the service, and I, someone asked, hey Kyle, how are you doing? And I complained about no sleep and dirty diapers that little kids bring. And then you looked at me and said, Kyle, just nothing but compassion in your heart. Kyle, little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. One of my fears, like genuinely, not like every waking moment afraid, but like continually low-level afraid, I wonder what we do to our planet and what climate change will look like. Like, I am planning on being around here for 50 more years. My, parent, my kids are planning on being around here for 80 more years. What kind of planet will they live on? How close are we to the point of no return with how we are changing the world's climate? I also remember reading a study years ago. They, oh, I was going to say, many, I hang out with a bunch of people in their late 50s and early 60s at work. Seriously, like retirement? A lot of you folk just are like low-level afraid of retirement. You're afraid you're going to be bored. You're afraid of what I'm going to do with my time. You're afraid of, am I going to have enough money? And then some ad executives create Freedom 55. You need a million dollars by 55. And then we're all ratcheting up our fears, right? Years ago, I did read a study. They interviewed um, the world's richest people. In order to qualify for this study, you needed to have a minimum assets of a quarter billion dollars, so $250 million to, apply for, to qualify for this study. And the number one fear of all of these people, I might run out of money. The fear is real, folk. <laughs> Those of us in churchy world, we actually have a whole difference, a whole another set of fears. So some of us are afraid of God. That God will smite us if we sin or if we didn't do enough or if we step out of line. Larry Hurst retired recently, the chaplain at Bethesda. And in the Steinbach Online article, he said some people who are facing death, they've been going to church their whole life, their entire life, have been singing songs, nothing but the blood of Jesus. They are afraid to die because they are afraid I have not done enough. And so Larry said, I just show up and say, grace, 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 you are loved. Some of us are afraid of hell, that if we get something wrong, eternity is a very long time. These are fears that most of Christians have. Um, I'm going to do some examples. I'm going to go down a little path here of, uh, I'll be a little bit vulnerable. And someone told me recently I should stop giving disclaimers. So this is my non-disclaimer disclaimer. But I am being vulnerable. Um, June wrapped up. Today's July. 
June wrapped up. And if you've been paying attention, you might have noticed all over um, news outlets and the internet, uh, June was Pride Month. And in three weeks, Steinbeck Pride is coming up. And I will be off the grid, so I have no idea how it's going to go this year. But I'm going to use this as an example of how none of us are immune to fear. So some of us are afraid that God will not be pleased if it appears that we are condoning sin. So that is a very real fear for some of us. Others of us are afraid that we are missing out on the gifts that God has given all of us and that the church is less unless we are all here. Some of us are afraid that people will leave the church or leave the Christian faith entirely if we aren't seen as or working for the equality and welcoming of everybody. And for me, to be brutally honest with you, what's driving the bus for me? LGBTQ teenagers have a higher rate of self-harm and suicide than straight kids. And that rate goes up in religious families and religious communities and churches. So I am genuinely afraid that an LGBTQ teenager is going to kill themselves if we don't get this right. And that first and foremost, God wants us to keep everyone alive. So now all of these fears across the spectrum are legitimate. You can't show up and say, that's not a real fear. Fears are fears. We're afraid of them. And all of these fears are formed somewhere And they all lead us to different actions and attitudes. But the fear is there. It's just often lurking just beneath our consciousness. So the question for me is, do our fears lead us to being more loving or less loving? Here in 1 John, we read that perfect love drives out fear. That agape love drives out fear. That unconditional, selfless love drives out fear. Sometimes I like to think of Christianity less as a static noun and more of a dynamic verb. I think of us walking a path trying to know God by loving others as we would love ourselves. This is why the Jesus movement was at first simply called the way. The way of Jesus is love, agape love for everyone. And between ISIS and Madonna, between climate change, retirement, and keeping teenagers alive, we need a lot of help, don't we? We need a lot of help to not be driven by fear. We need a lot of help to love. And so as usual, when I preach on love, we are now going to spend a few minutes praying now praying for help, praying for ourselves, praying for others. So when you go home today and someone says, how was church? Oh, great, Kyle preached on love and made us pray to help us be loving. Yes, every single week. Yes, because we need this. So I'd invite you to sit up straight if you are able and put your feet flat on the floor and put your hands out as if you're receiving a gift. And if you don't want to do that, that's okay. And if your kids are bonkers in the back, even more perfect. Take a few deep breaths. Begin by finding the place of loving kindness inside your heart, the place where God's love and affirmation for you is as real as it can be. Drawing upon this source of love, bring to mind someone you deeply care about and send loving kindness toward them. Now direct this love toward a casual friend or colleague someone just beyond your inner circle.
Continue drawing from your inner source of loving kindness and let it flow towards someone about whom you feel neutral or indifferent about, a stranger. Remember someone who has hurt you or someone you struggle to like. Bless them and try to send them your love. Gather all of these people and yourself into this stream of love and hold them here for a few minutes. Finally, let the, flo- let the flow of loving kindness widen to encompass all beings in the universe. Imagine God's love reaching into every corner and crevice of the world. Amen. And grace and peace to everyone always. Instead of the river is here, we will be singing number 11 in your hymnals, and it will also be up there, Sweet Hour of Prayer. So I think you all know that one. And it's my mistake in not having Dennis's name in the bulletin. Dennis loves to play the drum, and we love to have him accompanying us. So thanks, Dennis. Sorry that I missed putting you in there. Please stand. Number 11.
Would you bow with me, please, for the congregational prayer? Our Heavenly Father, your love to us is a gift that we have not earned, but that we gratefully accept. Thank you. Thank you for our country. Thank you for the freedom to worship you. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for the daily blessings of shelter, food, and homes. Today we remember our friends in Pongasi as they return to their community and try to establish their community life, their food supplies, and the care of their families. We also bring to you members of our church family who, in some special way, need your presence and closeness today. We pray for Debbie Giesbrecht, Christina Putz, who have been in care at Bethesda Hospital. We remember Phil and Barb Gunther and family in the loss of Barb's mum, and Rick and Sheila Artis on the passing of Sheila's mum. There are others not named who struggle with health or personal concerns that also need our love and support and the comfort of your nearness. And as school is out and families and individuals spend time traveling, on vacation, or enjoying the summer months, please grant safety, family closeness, joy, renewal. We ask this for our pastors as well. Be with Kyle and Mel during their summer responsibilities, activities, and vacations. Give them joy and refreshment. And we also pray for the leaders of our country, our province, our community, that wisdom may guide their actions and decisions. Your teachings ask us to show kindness, compassion, and love, and to not oppress the poor or underprivileged. As we bring our offerings to you this morning, we acknowledge that both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen. Would the ushers come forward, please? Please stand for our ending song, or ending sending song, Kindness. Please stand, if you are able. Christ has no body. Thank you. 
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all.